The ETF Edge podcast is sponsored by Invesco QQQ, supporting the innovators changing the world. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Welcome to ETF Edge, the podcast. If you're looking to learn the latest insights in all things exchange-traded funds, you are in the right place, my friend. Every week, we bring you interviews, market analysis, breaking down what it all means for investors. I'm your host, Bob Pisani. Today, we're diving into some of the hottest thematic investing trends in the ETF business, including SMACs and the hydrogen economy. Plus, there really is an ETF for everything. A new fear of missing out or FOMO fund is gearing up to launch later this year as more and more investors look to chase the momentum in this market. Here's my conversation with Sylvia Jablonski, CIO of Defiance ETFs, Harry Witten, head of ETF sales trading at Old Mission Capital, and Matt Tuttle. He's the CEO of Tuttle Tactical Management and the man behind that new proposed FOMO ETF. Matt, everybody's trying to capture this crazy nature of the markets. I said it's like having a bowling alley installed in your brain being an active stock trader these days. So you've got value stocks, you've got growth stocks, you've got the reopening trade, you've got tech stocks, you've got the Reddit play, you've got Bitcoin floating around out there. Um, You have proposed a FOMO ETF that I think is very interesting, that might be capturing the zeitgeist. I'm not sure how it works, and that's why I want you to explain it to us. Now, we've had a momentum ETF, the the MTUM, that rebalances twice a year. We've also got a buzz ETF. We had Jamie Wise uh, on a couple weeks ago uh, that rebalances monthly, that primarily looks at social media. Now you're proposing a FOMO ETF that can buy anything, you say, um, that rebalances weekly. Explain to us how this is actually going to work. How are you going to decide what to own? So the the first thing we're going to start with is the entire universe of whatever is currently hot. So, you know, why we have that flexibility is I know what's hot today, but I don't know what's going to be hot three months from now next year. So right now, the portfolio would be able to choose. It would have SPACs. It would have, you know, uh, innovative technology. It would have momentum stocks. It would have, you know, what's hot on social media. Um, and, And that would be the universe of what we would start with. And from there, we apply quantitative models. So we're applying a trend following model where what we want to do is we want to take the stocks that have been the hottest over the intermediate term. Because typically what you see happen is what's been hot continues to be hot. Objects in motion tend to stay in motion. But then we want to combine that with a counter trend following model. So with that, what we want to do is we want to take the stocks that have done the worst over the past couple of days. Because typically what happens is those stocks get oversold and then eventually you see money start to flow back into those. So we're gonna have both of those models running at the same time, and those two types of models tend to smooth things out quite a bit. And it, it, it seems like a very critical part of this is that counter trend piece. That I don't know if you call it reversion to the mean, but that's how you capture, I'm, I'm guessing, the sudden rebounds, this dizzying change in pace where all of a sudden one day growth's hot, next day uh, value is hot or tech's not hot and transportation stocks are hot. By owning, by partly owning stocks that are unloved and that you're anticipating will bounce, you can capture the the rebound a little more smoothly is that the idea yeah and and that's really huge i mean that's a big part of it 
And and we've seen that in the stock market recently. I mean, people will ask me, you know, hey, Matt, what's the NASDAQ going to do today? So it's going to be up. All right. Well, why? Well, because it was down yesterday. It, it It's really the markets move like that a lot. So, you know, trend following yeah. and momentum is great until it isn't. And so, yeah, that counter trend piece is is vital to really be able to smooth out the returns. And when you say you can own anything, you mean anything. Could you own Bitcoin, for, for example? I mean, is that a possibility? It, it's not in the basket right now. We certainly have the flexibility. I need to wrap my head around how Bitcoin can't eventually one day go to zero. And if I can wrap my head around that, then Bitcoin is something that, yeah, we could be in. <laughs> certainly, we, we do have blockchain. Um, you know, since I've been running the model in a personal account, we've had things like Riot blockchain, I think we just got out of that today. But, you know, we, we can have the blockchain companies, Bitcoin, I got to get sold on first. OK, um, Harry, what I find very interesting about all this is the 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 effort by the ETF community to sort of capture this crazy trading market that we've had. So I, I think that it's noteworthy. The momentum ETF rebalances twice a year. The buzz ETF rebalances once a month. And now Matt's proposing an ETF that rebalances once a week. You see where this is going here. Um, what, what, what do you think of these efforts to sort of capture the zeitgeist? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting uh, idea that Matt has. It, but it, his idea is definitely new. But there's a lot of funds out there that trade uh, weekly. There's, you know, the active funds, as we all know, we've talked about ARC on this show many times. Uh, they can trade daily. Uh, so it's not nothing new where uh, somebody's going to go in and rebalance. And you talk about MTUM. MTUM is scheduled to rebalance twice a year. But if signals hit, they do trade in between uh, their semi-annual rebalances if they have to. If the quant numbers hit, they trade. So it's it just makes sense that uh, ETFs are doing more and more rebalancing. Yeah, it, I mean, that's a very good point about MTUM. They could have, a, a, I don't know what you call it, a special rebalance. But you're right, they're not necessarily set to to uh, twice a year. But my, my point, Harry, is <laughs> we, we seem, ETFs seem to be responding to the need to respond to the trading situation faster. Is, is this good or bad news, Harry, for that we're chasing FOMO to begin with? We're even having this discussion uh, rather than trying to figure out what's, you know, standard, you know, Vanguardian, you know, Jack Bogle kind of things that uh, essentially we're just talking about you know, how fast can we move in and out of stuff, no matter what is popular? Is this a, a sign of the times? Certainly. But is this good news or bad news we're doing, even having this discussion? Well, yeah, I know. That's that's hard to say, Bob. I mean, Old Mission, as a market maker, we make markets in every ETF. Somebody launches a fund, we're going to make a market in it. Uh, if people are going to buy it. That's not our decision. You know, we, we don't market the products. Um, there's always stuff that open up every day that somebody looks at it and goes, I don't believe this is launching. And the next thing you know, it has a billion dollars in it. Uh, it's just uh, yeah. people, if, if people want it, they'll buy it. I guess that's the easiest way to say it. Yeah. Matt, is there a, a minimum market cap in this? I, I ask because people have already asked me, well, well I, you know, I have people email me saying, oh, I just want to know what's the next Reddit stock. You know, I don't really care because I, you know. I'm not interested in fundamental analysis. I just want to sort of get on the zeitgeist here and, you know, figure out. But, um, of course, those are impossible to spot ahead of time, right? Uh, I, I mean, what do you say when people say, oh, I really just want to get on the Reddit bandwagon, whatever. You know, I don't care what stock it is. Yeah, so, I mean, no minimum market cap, but obviously being active traders, we're going to be cognizant of that. 
And as far as, you know, the Reddit bandwagon, you know, our answer to that would be, you know, yeah, you can have some of that, but we're going to look at weighting things. For example, our weighting scheme weights things based on volatility. So, you know, the models had GameStop in there, or not GameStop, AMC in there for a while, but it's been a 0.6% position. So if it does go to zero, you might not even notice it. And so, yeah, so we're right. going to be in those types of stocks, but we're not going to be, you know, 10, 15, 20% in anything like that. Right. Now, th th this is not trading yet. This is in registration. When do you think this might become active? When would it might, you know, be able to trade? We're, we're hoping mid to end, end of May. That would be our hope. Mid to end of May. Okay. Great. Um, keep us abreast of what's going on. I think it's a, I think it's a great idea. I, I, I'm not sure about long term about how it'll work. I'm, I'm dying to see how you'll maneuver in and out of these, uh, these many different asset classes. I want to just move on and talk about clean tech because that's a hot topic. We've got Sylvia Jablonski here. Um, Sylvia, uh, clean tech was hot in 2020. The, the ETFs around it, thematic uh, tech, thematic um, clean energy, are hot again in 2021. Uh, you've got your hydrogen ETF. It just started trading HDRO uh, last week. Um, just lay out the case for hydrogen. What, why you've been very emphatic that hydrogen is overlooked. Hydrogen is going to be one of the big clean energy plays for the 2020s. Give us the 30 second rundown on why you believe that's going to be the case. Absolutely. And uh, thanks for having me, Bob. So, you know, 90% of the world's energy consumption right now is provided by fossil fuels. And fossil fuels are, as we know, non-renewable, harmful to the environment and contribute to global warming. So as natural reserves dwindle and the populations grow, there's this need to find a clean, sustainable energy solution that'll meet our energy demands. And none of the existing alternative energy sources out there now, like solar, wind, or biomass, are able to provide sufficient cost-effective energy supply, so enter hydrogen. You know, so hydrogen right now is at 200, about $200 billion of investment. You know, it's, it's Bank of America recently estimated that it could grow to $11 trillion of investment, so $2.5 trillion of direct revenues by 2050. Um, I think it's just a massive investment opportunity, and it's now a practic practical energy source, which could end up being 25% of our energy needs. What, what can run on hydrogen right now? I mean, uh, golf carts. I mean, tell us what's feasible to run on hydrogen. <laughs> yeah, sure. So you'd be surprised, actually. There, there's a lot running on hydrogen. Um, there are about 14,000 vehicles running on hydrogen through the use of fuel cells. You've got um, hydrogen-powered forklifts and companies like NASA, Amazon, Home Depot, Boeing, Walmart, BMW, just to name a few, are using them and, and you know, sort of as they strive to become carbon neutral. There are buses running on fuel cell technologies, uh, hydrogen energy basically there. You know, we're talking about um, the Olympics in Japan. They're talking about having all of the buses run on fuel cells now. Um, so, you know, just about anything and everything you can think of, on-site power generation, long-duration energy, Energy storage, all of it actually exists, and it's just growing and growing as the technology becomes more sophisticated and it becomes cheaper to do it. And can hydrogen compete against, you know, electrification or solar, for example? How does that? How does the cost stack up right now? 
Yeah, so it's so basically, you know, it, it's it's thought that the the costs now um, will be fifty percent less within coming years. Um, so you know, it has you know to your point, it has been more expensive, but the costs are actually coming down as more and more companies come out and sh- sort of figure out how to how to produce it, how to store it, how to extract it, and you know, it's it's really like a, it's sort of a simple process, right? It's electrolysis, it's a chemical process that splits hydrogen from water using electricity, um, and after you know it's made, it can be stored. So once it's stored, it goes to a fuel cell for transfer of energy. The fuel cell separates protons and electrons. The electrons pass through a circuit and they make uh, electricity. And the byproduct of all of this is water, which obviously is not, you know, a gas or carbon or some sort of pollutant. So the right. costs are, are, are essentially coming down and they're, they're thought to be basically cut in half as, as years go forward. Um, and the storage is also so becoming this is, more efficient. Th- Right. So the glide path is kind of like solar. I mean, it, it, years, several years ago, uh, it was considerably more expensive than, say, even natural gas. And now it's come down so dramatically that it's actually at least equal or cheaper than natural gas. You, you think hydrogen is going to have the same kind of glide path in terms of, uh, terms of costs? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the difference is it's, it's the most abundant element um, in the universe, really. So it, it can actually provide enough energy that we need as our population grows. So that's sort of the difference between solar. You know, solar and wind are just amazing alternative energy resources. But hydrogen can really take scale and provide, you know, up to 25 yeah. percent of our energy needs in the future. So there is a huge difference there in terms of just like the investment opportunity and the yeah. impact of hydrogen. The, the one thing I've noticed is still a dearth of investable products. I mean, I just look at what you own here, and there's really three companies that are 30% of it. Plug Power, Fuel Cell, and Ballard Power. If you add them up, they're like 30% of the whole of the whole thing. This seems to be the same problem we had, you know, years ago with certain things like solar, uh, where it's it, it, there's not a lot out there that's close to a pure play. I, I know there are peripheral companies that get some elements from this. Uh, it, is that going to change? I think, you know, I definitely think it's going to change. And and one of the important things to think about is when we built this ETF, we also wanted to provide, you know, A, products that are, you know, have pure exposure to hydrogen and and fuel cell, um, but B, that are liquid enough. You know, we don't want the investor to get nailed with products that perhaps, you know, don't trade, don't have any market cap and and are highly, highly volatile. So, you know, you're, you definitely have a smaller basket here, but but um, as these companies grow and, you know, sort of like more companies come into the marketplace, the ETF could potentially expand. Um, but if you look at just like the, the, the opportunity here with the recent value rotation over the past month or so, some of these names have been down 30, 40 percent. But like year to date, they're up over 50 percent. You know, fuel cell plug, for example, dollar power ITM. I mean, some of these names are just like absolutely crushing it. And I think with the recent rotation, they've been they've been great opportunities for for investors to uh, to get exposure to the space. Yeah. yeah, plug plug power has been an absolute monster. I mean, that's just been a total darling uh, of, of the clean energy crowd for for more than a year. Um, so yeah, no one knows you, what it you is. You also run the you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, just that point. I mean, Folks, no one knows what them. it is. You know, if you, if, yeah, I mean, if you if you talk to people, like, well, what do they do? Well, they 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 use hydrogen to power forklifts for companies like NASA, Amazon, Home Depot, Boeing, Walmart. Like, these are massive companies that are adopting plug power technology. Um, so it, it, it's an actual thing yeah. that's being used in the world. Yeah, it's it's wonderful to see this finally take off. Uh, it's wonderful to see a, a chart of the of the energy output of a solar cell 
uh, dramatically go up. It looks like this. And then the cost of that cell like that going dramatically down and competing against uh, natural gas, for example. I mean, it really it really restores your faith in technology and the power to make things more efficient. The technology improves and the costs go down as the technology gets better and also manufacturing costs go down because you get bigger scale. It's really, you know, a classic situation of a new technology uh, disrupting uh, an old an old business. And now you've got companies, you know, energy companies, oil companies talking about we're not oil companies, we're we're energy companies now. And it's wonderful to see uh, it, it's really now real uh, and taken off. I think it's very exciting. Well, I got you here. You, you run the 5G ETF uh, also, that uh, FIVG is the symbol there, uh, Sylvia. Uh, where, where do we stand on the 5G rollout right now? We're all waiting for it. What, what's going on? <laughs> so that's also something that's here in some form, but it's only getting started, right? So 5G is basically meant to support the next generation of connective technology. You know, it allows us to globally share information, which we're doing now. It allows us to digitally connect. You know, I would say where you probably saw it is when COVID hit and, you know, we were all working from home and, and you saw that perhaps, um, you know, there were faster speeds and lower latencies than there were in prior years when you had to work from home. Um, you know, chips and infrastructure, core equipment like Nokia, companies like Verizon, you know, Wi-Fi, Internet, all of those things work to allow us to connect. But it's just in its infancy. You know, it, it's barely getting getting off the ground. Um, the amount of investments continue to grow in core carriers, cellular antennas, new radio tech you know, cloud capacity, cell towers. Um, and, and I think all of these things coming together will, will essentially allow us to have a true globally shared economy and will lead to continued growth in 5G. It's the feature growth of communication. You know, if you look at the classic uh, sector, right. you know, communication sector, it's basically Google, Facebook, and, and stuff like that. I mean, this is really the future of what communication will be. Yeah, so not to be a pain, but when. Uh, so it... it Trying to explain five, I try to explain things like, can I explain it to my mother? And she says, Robert, what is 5G? I said, well, basically, everything's going to happen a lot faster. <laughs> we'll be able to, you know, watch things on your, she has an Apple phone, and she'll be able to, you know, download things a lot faster, and you, the connectivity will be better. Is, is that a fair way to describe 5G to your mother? I mean, what would you say? And, and when actually will we have it? Will we have it at the end of this year? Yeah, so I mean, if if you if you have the new iPhone, in theory, you already have it. <laughs> so that's a great way to explain it to your mother. Um, you know, the the ultra band, wideband five G rollout actually started in two thousand nineteen, and right now it's available in parts of um, seventy or or so um, seventy or so cities, and and eventually it's going to be. Um, I think by the end of this year, it's supposed to be available in over 5,000 cities. But, you know, you have like basically Verizon has fixed their mobile 5G all over America, AT&T, thousands of cities, you know, um, all around the world. Um, so so it, it is it is there. You know, you, you obviously need the device that, that can um, use it, which in this case is, is the newest iPhone, but you explained it really well to your mother. It just basically allows you to do things faster, more efficiently, share information quickly, watch videos, get texts, you know, lower downtimes. And, um, and, you know, but the bigger part of that is it allows things like, you know, researchers um, in oncology to share information within a minute that might impact a study or a new drug or an outcome of a surgery. You know, that's where it really matters. 
Um, you know, it, it matters obviously for driverless cars, for AI, for the build out of machine learning and things like that. But um, it, it's, you know, already practically used. Yeah, I, I think it would matter an awful lot for driverless cars. We, I don't particularly want any glitches in the communications with my car. Right. If there's a glitch when I'm downloading a movie, I can live with that. If we're driving 75 miles an hour on the freeway and there's a glitch in the communication system that's that's con, con, that's watching the car next to me, um, yeah, I have a little bit of a problem with that. So anything that will <laughs> improve yeah, the technology enough. around that, yeah, yeah. Landing planes, too, folks. Yeah, you want to you want to keep an eye on that. Um, let me um, <laughs> turn to Harry. Um, Harry, thank you, Sylvia. That was a great upload of uh, info. Um, Thanks. You you, you watch uh, ETF trading activity uh, on a regular basis. You're on a, a big trading desk there. Um, we've talked about clean energy today. We've talked about the FOMO trade. What else sticks out to you for 2021? Um, what, what's an interesting trend? Are you seeing unusual trading activity? Just give us a quick download of what, you, what you're seeing. Yeah, it's well, we're seeing a couple of things. Obviously, clean energy is still really active. And uh, what's interesting is the marijuana ETFs are active also, very active. Both of those ended the year very strong. And on any given day, when clean energy's up, marijuana's up. When marijuana's down, clean energy's down. It's kind of interesting how that happens. I don't know why, but it does. But inflows, we're seeing uh, broad-based commodities get a lot of inflows, symbols like PDBC, DBC, COMT. Uh, so people are looking at the reopening trade, they're saying, and there's a big uh, use of uh, broad-based commodities. So that's an area performing well, seeing inflows. Uh, outflows, we're seeing outflows in gold and high yield, emerging market bonds as interest rates rise. All three of those are seeing outflows. Uh, on pretty consistent basis. I know Morgan Stanley downflow, uh, downgraded emerging markets a few weeks ago. So um, that's really kind of what we're seeing here. Um, the thematic ETFs are also still very, very hot. So Matt's FOMO product coming out and Sylvia's products like uh, Hydro and 5G uh, are really active and you're seeing a lot of uh, trading in those types of products too. Yeah, I, I am very... I, one of the things I love about ETFs is they're good at capturing what's hot. I, I, we used to make fun of it three or four years ago with the pot stocks because there was nothing to invest in. They were all in Canada. But, you know, it held on. Um, we're still waiting for the Bitcoin thing to happen. But um, I, I love thematic investing because it, it reflects the way people think. Nobody goes out and buys a consumer discretionary ETF. Well, you can, but you're a professional investor probably. But people like solar ETFs. People like clean energy ETFs. People like, oh, cybersecurity. Yeah, I want to buy that. Uh, people like social media. Yeah, I want to buy that. People think thematically like this. And so ETFs follow the natural brain rhythms of an, of an individual. You know, not I'm going to buy the communication sector of the S&P 500. No, nobody does that. Um, so... That, that's why I find, you know, ETF so exciting. I mean, look at this. We, we've got a guy trying to do a FOMO e e <laughs> ETF, which sounds ridiculous a year ago. And now it's like we're actually having a real discussion um, an about ETF the for whole everything. thing. So I'm – there really is, except for Bitcoin. <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. That's uh, soon. Uh, it sounds like that's going to be soon, though. Well, we got Wisdom Tree last week filed for another one. So now, how many we got, Harry? There's got to be four of them, right, in registration? Oh, least, I think at right least, now. And I think um, hundreds of them, I think, by now. <laughs> yeah. So I'm very excited about the whole, you know, prospects for 2021, particularly about the flexibility 
uh, of the ETF you know, wrapper. We haven't even gotten to more obscure things like active managed ETFs at all. We see a lot of mutual funds, Harry, coming uh, and, and trying to essentially take the same, the same uh, uh, management that they've got and active management and just put it into an ETF wrapper. We haven't even discussed that, but that's another sign. Uh, so I don't. I see the business going nowhere but up. We'll hit six trillion dollars fairly quickly. We we went from four trillion under management for ETFs to five. Uh, I, I think we're nearing six right now, and I don't see any reason why we couldn't hit seven fairly um, fairly quickly. Any final uh, thoughts from anybody before we uh, we we wrap up? I think with all the new launches and stuff, you're you're pretty much you're launching products that are going to cater to the next generation of investors, and that's huge. You know, nobody cares about the sort of old uh, classic asset allocation products um, that is, you know, under the age of probably 30 now. And I think it's, it's great that a lot of these products are coming out. I mean, you know, FOMO and, and, and Hydro are, are huge to that audience. Yep. Yep. Completely agree. We're all on the same page on that. Uh, so uh, that's it for this week's ETF Edge. Thank you for joining us. Great discussion with everybody. Uh, thanks to Matt and Sylvia uh, and Harry. Now it's time to round out the conversation with some thoughtful analysis and some perspective to help you better understand ETFs. This is the Markets 102 portion of the podcast. Today we'll be continuing our conversation about fear of missing out or FOMO with Matt Tuttle of Tuttle Tactical Management. And Matt, we had a great discussion about your proposed FOMO ETF, the fear of missing out ETF, which is in registration. Um, you're going to own stocks. You're going to own SPACs, ETFs, derivatives, just about anything that you can to uh, make some money here. Uh, what is amazing to me is that it rebalances weekly, but I'm most interested in sort of how you make the decision of, of what to own. I know it's a trend following and a counter trend, and I know you're running some models on your own already. Give me an example of, of uh, how you decide what you're gonna own in this particular fund and what a counter trend strategy is. Sure. So first off, we start off with a number of different sleeves based on whatever happens to be hot right now. So right now we've got a sleeve for SPACs. We've got a sleeve for stocks that are hot on social media. We have a sleeve for innovative technology. Um, so then we take those sleeves and we run them through a trend following and a counter trend following model. The counter trend following model Basically, what I'm looking at is for each sleeve, give me, depending on how much I want to weight that sleeve, so give me between 10 and 20 stocks that have been the worst performers over the past couple of days. And we may look at three days, we may look at four days, uh, but that way it gives me a group of stocks that have been oversold, and then the hope is that those stocks will then turn around and bounce which is you know, typically what we've seen, especially lately with these stocks, is they sell off and then they bounce right back. And I, I'll tell you the problem I've got with this. I, I'm intrigued with the concept and the sheer energy that it takes to put something like this together. But you know, this is essentially a market timing tool. And you must be aware, you're a student of the markets, there is an enormous amount of uh, uh, shall we say, academic literature that indicates the market timing does not work. Uh, it's really pretty overwhelming. Uh, I, I, what's the secret sauce here? Is Do you believe that you can compress a decision-making into such a short period of time that you can basically know when to be in and out of various asset classes? 
So first off, I agree with you. Market timing doesn't work. You know, I've always said the market timing Hall of Fame will always be empty. There, there's, you know, that, and so that's not what we're trying to do. What we're trying to do is be invested in the areas that are moving up, but be in the right stocks in those areas, be in a mix of stocks in those areas, and in the right percentages. So one of the other things that we're doing is weighting them by volatility. So, you know, again, you know, AMC at a 0.6%, you were mentioning plug before. We own plug. Plug is, I think, a half a percent. So the stocks that are really volatile, you know, if they end up going down 30, 40%, it's not going to hurt us that badly. So we're not trying to time the market. We're just saying, if you want to be positioned in the stocks and the areas that have been hot, we've got a smarter way to do that. I guess what you're trying to do is make a distinction between market timing and momentum investing, and I'm not I'm not sure it's there. I, I don't want to you know be a nudge about about it, but I, I think you're getting my point. I I'd, I'd really like to see how you're going to pull this off because number one, it's that you're dealing with a lot of different asset classes. You're not just moving between value stocks within you know what, what's working in value and what's working in growth or switching between growth and value. You've taken on an enormous task with dealing with a lot of different asset classes, number one. Number two, I'm not sure the way you're describing it. There's a lot of difference between the momentum investing style and, and market timing because they involve market timing. So I, I, this is a very interesting experiment that you're engaged in, um, and I'm very eager to see how it goes. But I, I think you understand the, the weight of history really works kind of, uh, to, kind of against you at this point. Um, but I think it's wonderful that you're doing it. Do you, could you ever see going to a one-day rebalance, for example? This is what I find interesting. So the momentum, the MTUM, is, rebalances twice a year. Then you have buzz rebalancing once a month. You're rebalancing once a week. I mean, you could see the trend here, right? Isn't the With, aren't we moving a toward a, a daily rebalance? And and we would even consider going to intraday. And we've studied that. Why I don't is markets intraday are just they're too choppy, and you're just going to chop yourself to pieces. So we we've looked yeah. at intraday, we've looked at daily, and we've looked at weekly. We've also looked at monthly. And what we found is weekly is really that sweet spot where you don't get chopped to bits, but you're still quick enough and responsive enough to be able to change on a dime. Yeah, I, I, that makes a lot of sense to me. I, I could see the, a lot of real problems with a, with a daily rebalance. The other thing I see is just the sheer trading cost. Now, you and I have talked about this before. You're, you're not going to be <laughs> tax efficient, um, but um, this really could generate enormous amounts um, of, 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 uh, of, of taxable trades, couldn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, we're, again, we're not going to be tax efficient. Some of the biggest mistakes I see people make with their investments is they let the tax tail wag the dog. I mean, our goal is we want to do substantially better than the S&P 500. And if we can do that, I don't know that you're going to complain about the taxes. Yes, um, although it always is in actively managed mutual funds, it's always sometimes a little bit of an unpleasant shock because you don't know. And if that manager suddenly decides that, you know, they're going to be a lot more active than normal, all of a sudden at the end of the year, you get a little statement that says, what, how much do we have here? And, you know, and it's I'm always a little bit of an unpleasant surprise. If, if we have a good year, don't be surprised. There will be capital gains.
Yeah, yeah. What, um, where do you see this all going? I mean, I know you, you could see what I'm getting at here on the philosophical side of things. Um, we're now at the point where markets can, you know, artificial intelligences can almost figure out uh, trading trends on its own. But the problem is that when everybody is doing the same thing, you know, the edge gets smaller and smaller. You know, it's sort of like, you know, the old, you know, Renaissance uh, the, the whole the whole Renaissance thing, where you know James Simons figured out a way to exploit micro inefficiencies in different markets, because he was one of the only people who had the computing power to figure it out back then. But as more people have had the computing power, the ability of them to outperform gets smaller and smaller for everybody. Um, does do, have, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, that eventually my AI is going to compete with your AI, and my AI's computing power is not far from your AI's computing power. And if it just tell the AI, uh, just get me in anything moving really fast, um, you know, what happens when all of us have the same AI? Well, right. And that's why you've got to be constantly innovating and, you know, and why we don't do index funds. Because if you're stuck in an index, yeah, I mean, that becomes obsolete at some point. But you've got to be constantly innovating, constantly working on your models, looking at your models and you know always looking at that next generation so ai is something that we're looking at and we've done tests on it and i've seen some interesting results i'm nowhere near ready to use it because i don't trust it yet but something that we're going to continue to look at definitely yeah five five years from now my ai is going to be trading with your ai and again i go back to this old point it the, the returns kind of get narrower and narrower and the ability to exploit uh, uh, micro inefficiencies, shall we call them, in the markets, uh, get smaller and smaller. 20 years ago, I remember sitting in uh, Island's office, uh, and uh, they were explaining to me their largest client was uh, a company uh, that all they did was essentially play off the S&P futures that were trading on the, on the trading floor itself in Chicago against the electronic version of the same thing. Uh, so it, I should call it stat arbs, what you would call it. Uh, and I said to them, really, can you make money at that? And they said, yes. And he showed the example. And it actually, it, the, the spread was surprisingly wide. Um, sure. And so what happened was you can still do that, but it's a lot, lot smaller than it used to be because so many people are in that business. The, the point is uh, what seemed like a miracle 20 years ago when I was first looking at it, and it was 1999, um, is fairly obvious today and done routinely. Um, so I think that's probably going to be where the future is going to be for a lot of this. Uh, but it's a fascinating, and I, I, I give you kudos for coming up with the idea and, and hitting the zeitgeist for the moment. Matt, thanks very much for joining us. Matt Tuttle is uh, with Tuttle Tactical Management. And that ETF you, you think may be May, did you say? Uh, we're hoping sometime in May, yes. Okay. All right. Matt Tuttle, thanks very much for joining us. Appreciate it. Everybody, again, have a healthy, happy, and safe trading week. Invesco QQQ believes new innovations create new opportunities. Here's to greater possibilities together. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc.